there. Welcome to the Clyde Podcast. This is Willow Weston, the founder and director of Clyde. And today I'm going to hand you over this interview that I just got to have with Pamela Havy Lau. Pamela is a professor and an author. She has 25 years of experience in speaking and teaching and writing, you know, authoring books. She leads an organization where she helps organizations, businesses, and ministries with conflict. She's a mediator. She's also pursuing her doctorate in global leadership studies. There's so many things that are amazing about this woman and how God's using her in the world. And we had a very personal conversation where she shares a bit of her story of pain and how that story has really invited her into a place of learning more and more about forgiveness. And so you're going to want to hear this. It's going to challenge all the things in you that uh, make you avoid conflict, make you struggle with forgiving people who still haven't changed. It, it is a phenomenal conversation, so check it out. Pamela, I'm so excited to hang out with you today. I have a jillion questions I want to throw at you. So thanks for making space to have this conversation. Well, I am so excited to see you, and it's going to take everything in me not to be asking you all the questions back. So. <laughs> oh, you're sweet. Right now, you're you're doing so many things, and we'll get to all of them throughout this interview. But right now, one of the things you're doing is spending a lot of time coming alongside teams and helping them discover their best selves. And you do this through your organization, Real Life Image. How did you get into this kind of work? Well, uh, Real Life, Real Image was created from the verse in Colossians that talks about that he is the image of the invisible God. And so I, I, what my desire was, first of all, as a, as a writer and as an, as an editor and speaker is I wanted to show up in the image of Jesus, whatever he asked me to do. So that's where the name came from. Yeah. But how I ended up coming alongside teams was interesting um, for many years, I would I led retreats and uh, conferences and spoke at universities. And what would happen inevitably, right, is you get to know the leadership team because they're the ones who are who you're working with. And mm-hmm. and before I knew it, before we would even begin the event, I was hearing what was going on on the inside. How could you not? You care about people, right? And I just felt like I felt the Holy Spirit sort of leaning in on me and saying, I need you to listen just a little bit better to what's going on here. Mm -hmm. And so from that really came um, me thinking, well, Lord, what, what do people, what do leadership need? They, they're, they're busy. What, you know, what can I possibly do? And, and really he led me ultimately to be trained as a mediator. Mm -hmm. And so I actually took the um, 40 hours of mediation training which, Willow, I have to tell you, I wish I had done it 20 years ago. I had no, I, I, I'm, I'm a right, you know, I have a journalism degree. I taught writing and, and uh, speaking to college students for years. This mediation training was, it was so, it was, it was more biblical than I could have known, but that wasn't the, the point of it because it was all about how to bring people together listen to both sides. So what I do with teams of whether I'm teaching them on the Enneagram or whether I'm uh, doing a a workshop on conflict, resolving conflict, um, I bring small groups together of that leadership team 
and we go, we have a half a morning together and it's, it's the beginning of listening differently to each other. So that's how it kind of got started. That's how I would answer that question for sure. Um, but it, it multiplies. You know? <laughs> Just to sort of rewind for a second, because yeah. I'm kind of curious, Yeah, you didn't necessarily see this path of going from you know, speaker, author, you know, leader into mediator. If you re rewinded back to even being a kid, I'm sort of curious if there have been moments in your life, in your family of origin or other places where this mediation gift was coming out of you naturally. Uh, If it was coming out of me naturally. Yeah. Yeah, I well, probably like you and many others, you know, my family of origin was incredibly difficult, very difficult. And, you know, I write about that in um, my second book. But I was I was a fighter even as a young person. I mean, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. Right. I mean, I was the one who was against and I would say, Mm -hmm. well, you're not telling the truth or what are you? You know, so I often was the one in the conflict. But I was always the one who people came to. And I bet you, you can relate to that. And so can many people listening. Like, why am I the one everyone tells everything to? Mm. Well, that can be a gift and that can be a burden, right? Mm. Because then you're like, am I being listened to, first of all, right? But second, what I started to realize all those years ago, 20 something years ago, is that when it's kind of like the author of The Body Keeps the Score, sure you've read um, Bessel van der Kook's book, where he says, when someone is listened to, really listened to, the physiology of their brain changes, right? Mm. I mean, when they, when the complex feeling is understood, they literally, it's like everything inside them just takes a deep breath and sits down. And I started noticing that years and years ago, because I wanted to listen. I was compassionate, but I didn't have the skill set for it yet. It's so interesting because you used a phrase, listen differently. And I almost, my ears peak up because I think, wow, I, I think we could all use, you know, (laughs) that, that like a class on how to listen differently. When you think about family dynamics, work dynamics, so often people don't feel heard and we're making assumptions about each other. And there's just so much. When you say listen differently, what do you mean? Well, let me give you an example. So um, in communications, um, if I had a group of students in my class, I would be wanting to teach them what it means to label, okay, in listening, okay? And I would bring up two, you know, 18, 19-year-olds into the front of the class, and I would say to them, okay, I'm going to express my feelings to you about something, and I want you to label what I'm saying. Meaning I, I could use another word I could use as mirror what I'm saying. So I would stand them in front of me and I would say, oh, I was, I, I'm so overwhelmed. You know, I, I just got this phone call and my dad is in the hospital and I need to fly out there and I'm so overwhelmed and I don't know what I should do. And I, and, 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 and I just describe my anxiety. Okay. So I say, okay, now I want you to label what I just said. Inevitably. Those two 18-year-olds, I give them each a chance. They say, oh, well, go ahead and get on a plane right away. Or, or um, well, um, you know what you should do? Mm. 
And then I would bring up another pair until finally someone will say, oh, wait a minute. You didn't ask us to tell you what to do. Mm. You asked us to just label how you were feeling. Mm. And that is that when I say listen differently, when we're attached to the people, right? Our daughters, our, 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 our parents, our, we can't, we don't know how to listen differently in a neutral place. That's what mediation trains you to do is to be a neutral. Hmm. So that's you know, what I mean. You're kind of describing the magic sauce of <laughs> yeah. relationships and that's you're bringing right. it into these these places where there's leaders and managers and pastors working with each other. You you say that you facilitate conversations to simplify complex issues. Can you yeah. tell us why that's so important in relationships? If relationships don't move, what happens? They die, right? I mean, we're we're fluid. It's relationships are fluid. It's not like because you're my friend, we're going to be friends forever no matter what. They they have to move. And so what hap- what 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 I see what happens at executive level leaderships in particular. So, uh, I'll give you an example. We I co-mediate by the way a lot Willow. I don't want it to seem like it's just me. We often co-mediate or I think it's just as a healthier approach. Because you need four listening ears, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, we went into a, a, a large church leadership team, and there there was a, a huge conflict about bringing in the next head leader, if that's what we want to, okay, the head CEO or whatever. You could put this in any organization. Well, when you come in and you start interviewing people and finding out the dynamic of the relationship, then you realize that there's so much hurt. Even in a professional setting, you can't get to the root of why you, you can't are, be able to hire the next person because there's so much hurt in those, in those relationships. And until we're ready to, it's not that you have to bear all, all the time, mm-hmm. but until someone is ready ready this is our mantra it's not about others it's about you right we always think it's the other person in the in the office's fault or the other executive leader and it could be because we all come with our but we but we get people what we do is we get the the key leadership team to just for a moment step back and say okay how did i just respond to that person's egocentric behavior or or something, right? How did I just respond to that? Because the way I respond is just as important as the way someone's treating me. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we start, but the relationships are key. And it doesn't mean that you have to have these deep personal relationships in a professional setting, but there needs to be healthy ways of acknowledging that there's forgiveness, that there's Mm -hmm. a clean slate, um, that I'm I'm going to be direct in my communication. That I sense you've got my back. Hmm. That's what we work on now. You know, I've never used this phrase. I feel like God just gave it to me in this moment because I feel like you're a rug lifter. Like it's <laughs> you know the you know the phrase we just yeah. sweep it all under the rug. You come in, you're like, all right, folks. Let's lift this rug and see what's right. underneath here. And who wants that? <laughs> Nobody <laughs> who wants that. But but if we don't, we can't grow. We can't move forward. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. this is so similar, like to my heartbeat around here at Collide, because really, when we get women in a room at conferences and classes and Bible studies, we really invite them to go to the harder stuff and invite Jesus into that place. Because I think we, as Christians, have been invited almost into this idea of sort of fast forwarding our brokenness to wholeness. It's kind of like sweeping it all under the rug. I have Jesus. I should be good. But we don't deal with the issues at hand. If we have, you know, hatred towards a parent, if we have an unhealthy mindset with our body, if we have comparison issues with women, if we're self-debasing or self-harming or whatever the issues are, they don't go away. They're not going anywhere. So it's so interesting to me that you're walking into organizations and businesses and ministries and saying like, hey, we can't just have like some sort of rah-rah cheerleading. We're going to go places together unless we deal with like the stuff we swept under the rug. Well, think about it. What does scripture say? That he searches our hearts, right? And right. He, God is already, he knows the thoughts of men and women. He knows what's going on on the inside. We can't fool him. And here's what else I would say is there's something greater at stake here, which is the younger people watching us. I mean, this is, this is significant. We leak when we're leaking that way and we're claiming, you know, the name of Christ, of course we shouldn't expect to be perfect, but we should definitely be expected to be working on something and admitting it and being transparent. You can't fool people, but frankly, I want to go back. That was really what was motivated me to think more deeply about this was I heard from the the college women I was with teaching that they would, they would say, I, we look at pe- women ahead of us and there's not too many we want to re- resent, you know, look like. And I'm like, what? That's, mm-hmm. that should, re- that should get our attention. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it's not that we want to be compared with or to, but I would hope that the love of Christ is so profound in my life that someone says, I want that. What mm-hmm. is that? So that I think is important. I don't know. Um, how do we live these authentic lives of of being having clean slates as we lead? Mm-hmm. So you're being used to go in and invite people not to avoid conflict. I want to talk about that for a minute okay. because a lot okay. of people avoid conflict. Yeah, what do you think sure, avoiding yeah. conflict in your own personal life ultimately does to a in person? In my own personal life. Okay. Well, in all of our own personal lives, what do do you see that doing? How does that play out if we just continue to avoid the conflict that we're experiencing with each other? There's a book that came out called Unwinding Anxiety. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's written by a, a, he's a neuro, neurologist. And it's as if this neurologist wrote out Philippians chapter three and four. Okay, it's just, but he uses scientific research to do it. And he explains the difference between stress and anxiety. Those are two different things. We all have stress in our lives and we need stress in our lives to help us get up out of bed and get things done and show up and care about the world. Anxiety has increased 20 fold, right? Whether it's in the last five years, 10 years or the last two years. And 
that anxiety is not something we really want anyone to know about. I don't want anyone to know about. It's something I have to deal with. I will tell you. Um, I have since I was a young person. Um, but it's not something anyone can really see because it's it's in here or it's in it's in my mind. But what happens when I don't deal with it the way that um, that this author writes about, he talks about RAIN, R-A-I-N. I'll come back to that in just a second. To recognize it, to accept it, to investigate, and to note. When I don't do that. I create conflict in my life and, and other people's lives that it, the thing that we think is the thing isn't the thing, right? I mean, I'm sure you've heard this before. Like all of a sudden, like what just happened with my friend? Like what just happened? Like, uh, why did we just have this example? Well, we think, well, she was, she was rude and she, she didn't do what I wanted her to do, or she, or she rejected me, or she didn't answer my call. And yet what the thing that we think it is, it isn't the thing. And so it's it's what happened is we don't know that that person just had significant mental breakdown that day because as we know we don't all always share that right away. And so we we from there we made our decision that we're not going to return we're not going to we're not going to go back there so we move on. So now we've taken that self that's just been either rejected or misunderstood and we move to the next person and we think it'll be better but it's not. We've just taken it with us. Mm -hmm. And so unresolved conflict is like the analogy I have right now in my mind. It's like overeating. You know, it's overeating because you're just so stuffed that you you're not able to digest another relationship or another person, not in the most healthy ways possible. And it's not that Jesus says to us, live at peace and don't have conflict. No. No, that's not it at all. I believe that when he says, you know, my peace, I leave with you. I just think his peace is of a different pace. Mm -hmm. His peace is one that says, take the time and, and drop the pretense, you know, and find some really safe people who you can, can really tell the truth to, you know, and admit it. And I don't know about you, but I have to have significant people in my life who I can say, I can't, I can't function right now. I have so much anxiety going on. Mm -hmm. And if I can talk through that, then I can move on. But my point is, I believe it's our anxiety levels and our defensiveness that keeps us from resolving conflict in our person, in our relationships. Mm. It's almost like we need to flip the script. I, I don't love conflict and it does give me a lot of anxiety thinking I, you know, might have to have a conversation where conflict could occur. But I've begun to see the beauty that can come out of leaning into the conflict, the growth, mm -hmm. the healing mm -hmm. for both me and the other person. That almost mm -hmm. like if we can talk about what happened, if we can talk about the conflict, then I get an opportunity to to change, to transform, to become more like Jesus, to realize things about myself that I didn't know, to um, be challenged to grow. And that's, that's beautiful. But if you avoid that, then you miss out on that opportunity to, you know, for your character to be shaped. So yeah. you kind of have to flip the script on conflict when you're avoiding it all the time. And maybe we're afraid too of the humility um, that Jesus calls us to. I mean, that, that's just not a natural position for our souls is humility. 
our natural tendency is defense, right? Walls up or pride. And I'm not saying that humility means you say, oh, you're right. I was wrong. You were right. That's not what I mean. Humility, in, especially in Philippians chapter two, right, is taken on the attitude of Christ who did not consider his divinity something to be grasped. I, I have learned in my own life that if I'm always holding on to who I think I am, who I th- how I think I need to be treated, I can't lower myself and say, maybe there's something here I need to see about myself, what you just said. I think that was so good. What, do, what is it about myself I can learn here? Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted. You know, it's a humility that is not talked about in our world. So since you're the queen of helping people sort of resolve conflict, I know you're not calling yourself that, but no, I, I'm not <laughs> I, I'm the crown um, in this moment. What is some of your just kind of like small steps right now advice for people who in general are avoiding conflict right now in an important relationship? What, what is something or some things that they can do right now to begin navigating that conflict in a healthy way? First, I would say, write it down and write about it. Of course, we hear this a lot, right? Journal. But I really believe when you write it down, it takes the spell off of it, right? It, it, it takes that intensity out of it. But second, I would say that if you could talk about it with God in prayer in a conversational format, you would be surprised what the Holy Spirit would say to you in terms of maybe giving you a, a different, some insight and some scriptures for it. That's the that's the the inner world part. The second practical piece I would say is go to your calendar and choose a day that by that day you would like to sit down face to face with the person. Because I think we need space. It's okay. It's okay to have time. You know, I know scripture says don't go to bed before the you know with anger on your heart. And I and I think there's that's obviously very true, but there are some, some conflicts that just need some days, some space. But I, I really believe in the gift of intention and initiation. Don't wait for the other person. Call them, text them. If you can do it face-to-face, that's best. I just had a recent um, situation with a really dear longtime friend where we had a serious like thing happen And we were texting that night. And then I said, I need some space. I need some time. But I waited a week. And then I said, I went, I need to be together in person. And we worked it out to be in person. And Willow, I cannot tell you what that did. Being in person and saying, this is how it made me feel. As hard as that was to say, she was able to say, I, that's not what I intended, but, but somehow being together face to face and not texting is what gave me that you know that angstiness you have when there's a there's a tension between you and another person mm-hmm. even though we were texting each other and saying let's not we're okay we're okay it wasn't until we were face to face that it went away mm-hmm. so i, I think, think that's the, yeah. go back to each other's hearts Yes. You remember, oh, like your your heart. Like I don't you yes, for it's years. Like yes. yes, yes, yes. That's so good. 
Your mental, spiritual, and emotional health is worth time, energy, and investment. As women, we can sometimes struggle to find the space and time necessary to focus on rejuvenating our minds and our spirits. But the truth is, our health is worth it. The Collide Counseling Bundle is an online course featuring 12 videos of mental health professionals giving their best advice, journals, resources, and so much more to help walk you through the topics that are most relevant to your life, anxiety, broken relationships, body image, and more. We are so thrilled to be making the resources for a sustainable healing journey available for the same investment as what one therapy session typically costs, $99. It's time to invest in your healing and wholeness. Learn more at wecollide.net slash counseling bundle. You know, you, you've authored several books. And I, I think one of them leans into the idea of forgiveness. Do you want to kind of invite us into either what both your books are about or that book in specific? And we can kind of lean into getting to a place in our conflict of forgiveness. Yes. Okay. So, yes, it's so funny. Probably of all the, the topics that, you know, event leaders call me and ask me to speak on its forgiveness. And after a while, I'm like, wow, why is this my, you know, my, my mantra, but, um, but it's, it's the story of my life. I am, I was 14 years old. Um, my, I was raised in a Christian home. My mother was converted from Judaism to Christianity, which is a big deal by the way. Mm-hmm. And I was, um, living life to the full when one day I came home and my mom had left our family. So I raised, raised my brother and sister. I, I, I'm hesitant to use that word because I was a mess, as you can imagine. Um, my sister was eight years younger than me. My brother was two years younger than me. And I left for college four years later with like two thoughts on my mind. Um, I, w- I was close to God in the sense that I prayed, but I was not, I would not say I was like thriving and growing in my relationship with him. I was pretty, um, pretty determined to, to live life on my own Mm. and to, I, I never wanted to be married and I never wanted to have children because I never wanted to do what my mom did. But, um, but God pursued me in my brokenness and, and I want, I don't want to under, I don't want to under emphasize how broken I was. Um, because I have such a strong personality, I think people misunderstand me, right? I mean, you think, oh, she'll be okay, right? Well, no, I was shattered. Um, but but in the I in my sophomore year of college, um, I was overseas, uh, believe it or not, traveling with a music team, and the Hound of Heaven found me at the top of John Wesley's chapel, and I was surrounded by European Christians who really knew Jesus. I was 19. They didn't, they weren't living the American Christianity that I knew. They were talking about Jesus as if he was alive and right there. And I wanted that. And so I, he, he pursued me one night. I was by myself. I was in the top of John Wesley's chapel and I knelt by the bed and he asked me for my life. And I said, God, I want to, but I have two requests. I never want to marry a Christian man, and I never want to be in women's ministry. 
(laughs) (laughs) And so that is the turning point in my life of forgiving my mom because my mom wanted a relationship with me. Mm. And I didn't want one with her because she hurt us so badly. And she was pretty, she, I mean, there was a, that's a whole, you can read about that in my second book called a friend in me, how to be a safe haven for other women. But what God spoke to my heart over the, those few years was Pam, if you stay in relationship with your mom, I'm going to give you a hundred mothers. And he did. Um, I ended up being married to a man whose mom was a phenomenal influence in my life. I, she was, uh, she started five BSF Bible study fellowship classes on the front range in Denver, Colorado. Um, she was a businesswoman. She was a speaker. She's the one who trained me in my speaking. She's the one who said, this is what I see God doing in you. And she just poured her life into me. And, and it was, that was the beginning of me opening my heart to God's ways, even though now I want to be clear, my mom just died in 2020. And I will tell you that it was by God's grace that on the the day that she died, we had a close relationship. Hmm. It was years of practicing what it means to forgive when someone can't even be who you need them to be. Hmm. She could, she couldn't, it was not, she was, it was impossible for her. But my, my point of telling that story, it's a, it's not a story anyone wants as their story, right? I mean, who wants that as your story that you were abandoned by your mom? But my, but the forgiveness piece is this, um, in one of my worst betrayal moments with my mom throughout the years, cause it's not just a one-time thing, right? Most of us understand that mm-hmm. he said to me, Pam, I don't, you can't only know me in my glory. You also have to know me in my worst times, in my suffering. I was betrayed in my darkest hour. And I I remember turning to God and saying, but I don't want to know that. And he said, you have to. That's what it is to know me. And it was through me accepting that suffering, not that that defined me, but I accept by accepting it. What I can say is by, by, receiving his gift of forgiveness, which is every day for not just one person, but many people, he gives us pieces of our truest self back. That's what the gift of forgiveness does. And that is what I would say my whole life has been built upon, right? I'm 54 years old now. So you figured that was, I was 14 when that happened. Mm -hmm. So so the life I lead is not a life out of self. It's a life from a life with God. I can't imagine. He is my life. He is everything to me. He's not just something I talk about. And so I can't even fathom, you know, facing what we're facing today without this invitation to forgive. Right? And so there's a lot into that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm an incredible story and I can resonate with it so much, even with my own relationship with my mother who also passed away. And I had to stop living with her when I was 15. So I'm resonating oh, with your story so much. I, I think, I think sometimes we think forgiveness is I'm going to forgive you when you change. 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to forgive you when you stop doing this, this, and this. I'm going to forgive you when you get your act together. It's kind of like dependent on their behavior. Yeah. And you're talking about, and I resonate with it so much, and I wonder if you can put words to this, but I spent decades with my mother vacillating back and forth between I want to forgive you, or I do forgive you, or I have grace for you today, but then you just did that thing again, or you're hurting me again, and I don't know how to forgive you. And it's just this this constant, like when you're dealing with someone who, you know, doesn't change, it's very difficult. It's like a constant, almost like a spiritual discipline of like continuing to recenter around the idea of like grace upon grace, forgiveness upon forgiveness. Like, I mean, there's so many prayers I've uttered, like Lord Jesus's prayer, you know, Lord, forgive her for she knows not what she does. does, Right. I'm like, prayed that prayer right on the cross. And I just, I think it's so hard because our definition of forgiveness is I'll forgive you if you, if you right. stop. If you change. Yeah. If you change. Well, yeah. I think that's so you're, you're, you're hitting on probably the greatest mystery of real human relationships. And what I, what I learned and I, again, I write about it in the chapter on forgiveness is that forgiveness does not mean I don't have boundaries. Forgiveness means, okay, I accept you for who you are, but here's, here's who I am and here's the life I'm leading. And, and I'm going to have to have a box around this now. So many people in my life, not all, but many said this to me throughout the years that they knew me and my mom's relationship. Why do you stay in relationship with your mom when she keeps hurting? Okay. Well, first of all, you're that's that's that is assuming that God wants me to end that relationship and and for me obedience was staying in it but that meant I stayed in it with boundaries she was not going to be able to meet my needs what is the definition of resentment right it's expect it's um uh resent resent the definition of resentment is expectations that, that are waiting to happen they're never you know I didn't want to live like that anymore. I kept, you can't expect that. So that's a boundary I had to put in for myself. Mm -hmm. And then it means that I pursue with all my heart, other healthy relationships who can meet that need. Or if God so chooses that he's the one. And that's really where they're not going to, someone might not ever change. But I think we have to have, going back to our beginning of our conversation, listening differently. Mm-hmm. Is the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to stay, but with these parameters? Or is the Holy Spirit saying, it's time for this to come to an end? You have to have that kind of intimacy with the Lord because he knows best. It's interesting that you bring up expectations and how those might have to change, but that you can still have forgiveness and change your expectations. Because even as we're talking about mothers, I had to get to a place in my early adult life where I no longer expected my mother to be a mother. Yes. I no longer yes. turned to my mother for advice, turned mm-hmm. to my mother for wisdom, turn, like, mm-hmm. and that required me actually grieving 
what I was mm. meant to have that I didn't have. And yes. you have to do that work yes. while you're also trying to do the work yes. of forgiveness. And yes. that's what I want to talk to you about for a minute, because I think people are having a hard time holding space for both. So they think I either have to forgive someone and dismiss the pain they caused me, or I have to hold space for my pain because it hurts like heck. And so if I hold space for my pain, I don't know how to actually look at it and realize how awful it was and forgive. So we're, we're really like, we either think we have to, do do you get what I'm saying? It's like, if I actually pay attention to my pain and how hard it is, it makes forgiveness almost harder because I'm being real about it and honest about it. So I don't know how to do that. So I'm going to dismiss my pain and try to make it less Mm -hmm. so I I can forgive. Yeah, no. No, 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 no. There's no such thing as Christian anesthetizing. No, Jesus Jesus wants to heal our pain. And yes, we have to. And I think God provides different ways to deal with it. Some, I, I, I was in therapy when my daughter turned 14, Willow, because... She walked into a room one day and I literally could not differentiate between me and my daughter for a a hot moment. And I thought, how does a mother leave a 14 year old? And I knew that moment that I had to put myself in therapy Mm -hmm. and I did. And I sat with a, a wonderful Christian therapist while he helped me deal with the fact that I now had three daughters of my own. And how was, how was I to, I couldn't, I couldn't, so I, that's how I deal with my pain. So let me, let me back up just a second, because I believe so deeply in the uh, powerful, redeeming love of God. Okay. I've witnessed it. I'm in the, I'm a living example of, I've pushed through to the healing. I believe you can actually experience full healing. Does that mean that there's not more for me? There's always more. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to be whole. But I believe and I have experienced that when I walk with God and with certain other people, again, I believe in therapy. I believe in spiritual direction, by the way. I believe in pastoral help, friend help, all kinds. That when you say, Okay, here's one thing I really want to work on. And let's say it's with your with with a, a mom particularly or a parent. Um, when you are open and talk about one aspect of the pain, and then you get some insight into that, I do think there's a little bit of work for us to do. Because once it's been revealed, okay, that's real. We weep it, we mourn it. And then we invite the Holy Spirit and say, put it back together for me. Hmm. And, and I, so I don't think forgiveness is numbing the pain. Actually, I think that's, that's self-talk. No, no. Forgiveness is, is actually being realistic about the pain and then choosing to not hate someone. That's a choice. Mm-hmm. What do you see happen to people who decide that they're going to refuse to forgive? 
their body breaks down, they have physical consequences um, all kinds of ways. Um, they don't, there's a, and I don't, I don't want to, I'm going to be really careful here because the dark side of our nature is the dark side of our nature. Okay. I mean, that is real, right? Do you watch Lord of the Rings? I don't know if at all you're a Lord of the Rings fan. If any of your listeners are, they'll know the, the character Gollum. And Gollum is the one who finds the ring and the ring has so much power and it's an evil power. And he refuses to let it go that throughout the, the story of the Lord of the Rings, he becomes um, darker, gross. He becomes um, more self-centered than ever before. He becomes bitter. He's ugly as all. <laughs> He's just the most grotesque character. I think that's an incredible analogy for what happens to us when we don't forgive. Because forgiveness is a command. And I, again, I want to be careful because there are atrocities in this life that do take, take um, you know, courage. It's cur it takes courage to forgive. But I believe that when we don't forgive, nobody wins. But the person who's holding on to it is the one who, who really suffers the most. And particularly for women, um, I think sometimes we can see it in their demeanor. Um, when you get personally and up close with them, they can't do anything but cry. Um, they're not able to um, talk about the goodness of God. You know? And that's why it's important to forgive so that we can get back to being able to recognize the goodness of God. He's always good. He always is good. He hasn't changed. When you can taste him again, when you can get back to that, then I believe that um, that you, that it, it kind of, it actually, that's what brings the healing, right? So the, the, when I, I have three daughters, so you can imagine I am surrounded by a lot of, of women of all kinds of ages, because I have their friends and I have their, uh, their husbands and their, their significant others and all, all kinds of, and we have this conversation a lot, a lot. And if I recognize in my world, when I see someone not forgiving, I will gently say to them, are you ready to let it go? Let me know when you're ready and I'm glad to pray with you, but let me know when you're ready. And we need to do that for each other. Let's do that for each other as women more. Let's not jump on the bandwagon and say, you're right. What they did to you was awful and wrong. That actually does not help. But listening, going back, listening, acknowledging the feelings, yes. But then walking close enough with somebody and saying, "Is it? do you believe that the Holy Spirit is inviting you to let this go? Takes time. This is not Christianese. This is reality. Yeah. I mean, there's so many questions I can ask you about forgiveness and we could talk all day and we don't yes. have time. My we last question time. I want to talk about is yeah. because you mentioned it's a command. 
And I think sometimes I've seen that, and I know that's not what you meant, but sometimes I've seen that almost be like, let me heap on like guilt and shame that now, yeah. like not only have you been wounded, yeah, um, but now you're disobeying God because you haven't forgiven. And I think there's like room and you keep using words like, um, are you ready to like that? It takes time. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about the importance of, Hey, you might not be ready to let go, but what are you doing to walk towards? I always say walk towards peace. Even if peace is 20 miles down the road, That's right. what can you do yeah. to take the next step towards peace? But talk to us about the importance of giving yourself room for the journey towards forgiveness rather than sort of taking this, like it's a command, it's instantaneous. You decide right now, but it's not right. actually real, but you feel like you're right. being a good little Christian girl. Yeah. Right. No, none of that. So I believe strongly in the spiritual disciplines. Um, they have helped form my life for the past two decades for sure. Mm-hmm. And in one of the spiritual disciplines of silence um, and solitude, I believe that it's in that practice that that is when we get the opportunity to talk about these things with God or let God kind of minister to us about the timing of things. So absolutely, positively sure. I mean, God, Jesus was clear with us that when we forgive someone, then our sins are forgiven. And so when I am honest about my own self and my own life, I need forgiveness first for things that I've done. I think, again, I go back to that, that humility. I always start, I have to start there because my response to Willow, the, my response to my mom could be just as sinful as what my mom did. I'm not saying that, what, be, I want to be careful again with that, but I have to, I have to pay attention to the way I'm operating and I'm responding. And so in silence and in solitude, that's when my you know, I can walk in the light again, so to speak, and let the darkness. I mean, I, there's a lot of feelings that I can express to God that I cannot express to anyone else, but it takes time. And when you give yourself the gift of, of rest, that actually is a, a way of letting Jesus forgive in you. Sometimes I say to Jesus, I need you to do the forgiving for me. I can't do it. That's he's our savior. That's the whole point. That's a powerful prayer to ask him to do it for you. I I love that so much. Pamela, there's so many things that we didn't even get time to talk about today. Your your books, your um pursuing, you know, a a doctorate in global leadership studies. I mean, you have so much dream and vision ahead and projects you're working on. I know there's people who are going to want to connect with the work that you do. How can they do that? Well, I would love to. And I think the best way is through like social media or email. My email is my full name, which is Pamela Havy Lau. And you spell my middle name, H-A-V as in Victor, E-Y. Lau, L-A-U, so that's just one word, at gmail.com. I have a website, PamelaLau.com, that is being rebuilt because it's a new day, right? And I'm on Instagram and 
that's probably the best place when I start when I start bringing back the podcast and we have a, a video project we're working on. Um, that's where it will be for sure. I do have a podcast called Real Life with Pamela Lau, and that will be coming back uh, in January. So. Awesome. So many places that we can find yeah. you. Thank you so much for sharing parts of your story yeah. and your heart. to get to know you. Yeah, totally. We'll be in touch for sure. Wow, friend. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Pamela. She clearly has so much wisdom and spiritual insight to share with us on conflict and mediation and forgiveness. I love that phrase, listen differently. I think I'm going to carry that in my pocket for the next few weeks and really think about how I'm listening to people and how I can listen differently. But I just loved, and maybe you could resonate too, where she shared about her mom and the pain that she experienced in that relationship and the spiritual invitation that she received from God to figure out what it looks like to forgive the person who wounded her the most. And I I have that story in so many ways myself. And I don't know where you're at, uh, but so many of us, we avoid conflict and have a very hard time with forgiveness. Like I said, I think we sort of put expectations around forgiveness and our forgiveness is dependent on the other person's behavior. And so my hope for you is that you'll consider what does forgiveness look like for you in the relationship that the Spirit brought up in your heart while you were listening to this podcast? What does forgiveness look like for you, even if that person doesn't change? Maybe God's inviting you into a journey to walk towards peace and forgiveness. And maybe you're not even close to getting there. But I suppose we all could take one step today. And I'm not sure what your step is, but I trust that God will speak to you. And maybe that's the prayer you can pray is, God, what is one step I can take today to walk toward forgiveness? If you feel like there's a lot of healing that needs to take place in your life, please, friend, go to our website at weekalight.net and check out our counseling course. It is an online course on the Collide School that we put together where we gathered 12 different mental health therapists and actually asked them to spend almost an hour each with us speaking into our lives on the areas that women desire healing in. And there's some amazing courses in there on forgiveness and healing broken relationships. So check that out. I promise you won't regret it. It comes with a beautiful journal where you get to work through a lot of your stuff. And sometimes that's the work we need to say yes to. It's like working through our stuff to get to a place where we can finally forgive. That's God work. But you know what? We believe that God is real. He shows up. He's colliding. He's running into our lives and he can do a healing in us and through us. So I hope you sense that encouragement this week. Keep colliding and we'll catch you next week.